Well, we're going to finish out our study of Proverbs 3 this morning. We'll be there in a moment after some introductory thoughts. If uh, We'll be actually looking at a passage in Proverbs 2 if you'd like to turn there as we begin today. Someone once wrote, It requires wisdom to understand wisdom. Music is pointless if the audience is deaf. And I thought an interesting thought that Solomon would totally agree. It requires wisdom to understand wisdom. Music is pointless if the audience is deaf. In the New Testament, we see Jesus saying on several occasions, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, the messages to the seven churches all record, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, to the churches. So what they're saying is, of course, are we tuned in to what God is saying? Are we focused on the Word of God and the will of God and the ways of God? Are we, are we seeking wisdom? Throughout our study of Proverbs, we, we have seen uh, that Solomon saying repeatedly for us to seek wisdom, to, to search for wisdom. And I want to look again just at the first couple of verses of chapter 2 that we looked at several weeks ago in Proverbs chapter 2. The first six verses, Solomon writes, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And there's the concept, if you have ears to hear, plug them in. He said, incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You see that, that thought there again, that we've got to be on the same frequency. Do we have ears to hear? Are, are we learning by listening to wisdom? Are we inclining our ear to wisdom? Now, having wisdom doesn't mean that you know everything. It means that, that you are plugged in to what God says. It means that you are on the same frequency that God is broadcasting on. You are seeking the Lord. You are looking for His wisdom. It, it's not a matter of, of academic brilliance. It is a matter of the heart. A matter of the inner man. It is having a desire to know what God is saying and being willing to do it. As someone once said, you don't have to be listed in who's who to know what's what. But you do need to know what God says in His Word, and you need to be willing to obey it. See, your, your past does not have to define your present. God's plan for your life is not hindered because of your past. If you are willing to obey God today and from this time forward, if you're willing to seek the Lord's wisdom today and from this time forward, remarkable things can happen in your life. The great passage we quote often, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. And I always love that thought. He will abundantly pardon. 
when we turn to the Lord, when we call on Him, when we forsake our, our, our past and, and, the, and the, the foolish choices we've made in years gone by, and we keep seeking the Lord and we're seeking His wisdom, God says, I'll have mercy on Him and I will abundantly pardon. God's not going to say, well, I think I'll let you grovel a little longer, then maybe I'll think about forgiving you. No, he says, I will abundantly pardon. And as Solomon continues on in his lecture to his son, he explains to him what, what a lifestyle of wisdom actually looks like. How does this play out in real life, my son, he's saying. This is what wisdom in action looks like. And the entire teaching lecture in Proverbs 3 has been this beautiful picture of the life of wisdom. He continues to grab his son's attention by saying to him three times in chapter 3. First in verse 1, and then in verse 11, and then in verse 21. My son! My son! My son! I kind of got amused at that, thinking about that as I was reading through this again this week. You know, our, our minds wander so easily. That's why I always encourage you to follow along in your Bible, write some things down, make a note or two, underline or highlight if you like to do that sort of thing. All good reinforcements. Because we remember less than 10% of what we hear only once. That's why our mothers and fathers said certain things to us hundreds of times. Because that's the only way that we get it. That's why I think that's why I keep reminding you to make sure to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. Chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. I won't give you a pop quiz to see if you've done that yet, but I've been telling you the last several weeks memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and 7. And that's why Solomon says three times in one short teaching here My son, my son, my son. If, if this is all one teaching, and I believe it is all one thing that Solomon taught, if you were to read through it, you'd see that about every third or fourth minute, Solomon says, My son! I just sort of imagine me giving a lecture to my children, and about every three or four minutes saying, Hey kids! Solomon says, My son! Don't forget my law. About two minutes later, My son! Don't forget to do this. About two or three minutes later, my son, don't forget to do that. Are you still with me? Are you plugged in? Are you getting this, my son? And in Proverbs 3, Solomon has spoken of the results of having wisdom, the benefits of having wisdom, the value of wisdom. We looked at that last week. It's profitable and precious and pleasant and peaceful and powerful. It's the only path to true happiness. But now Solomon's going to get down to street-level living. My son, he says, this is what wisdom in action looks like. When you go to bed at night, when you go through the routines of the day, when troubles come, when natural disasters strike, when wickedness appears to be winning, when you owe people money, when you're trying to coexist with your neighbors, when somebody tries to pick a fight with you, when you see ordinary people who seem to be getting ahead in this world by being nasty to people, and all of those issues I just said to you, he's going to deal with in these verses. What, what, what do you do? Well, what does wisdom in action look like? If I'm seeking God's wisdom and I'm living a lifestyle of wisdom, what will people be seeing in my life? I'm going to give you in just a moment eight, uh, eight marks of, 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 of wise living. But I want you to hold your finger here for just a moment and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 
The Lord brought this passage to mind as I was doing my study in preparation for the message this week. And I want to show it to you. There are many beautiful, beautiful passages in 2 Corinthians. It's a wonderful book. But this particular verse, this particular little section, about three verses, is just a beautiful metaphor. It's a beautiful word picture. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 14, 15, and 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, 15, and 16. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things. In the Roman world, there was a well-known ceremony called the Triumph. And when a Roman general returned home from battle, if he was victorious, which was usually the case with Rome, because they had one of the finest armies in, the region, in that region of the world for several centuries. But when a Roman general returned home from battle in victory, he would ride his chariot through the streets of Rome with his army marching on parade. You are familiar with that phrase, when they march on parade, they're in full dress, they're marching, uh, in, they're not just going down in this big crowd, they're in rows and lines and, and, and marching on parade. And there would be censers of incense burning along the streets, the crowds would be throwing flowers as the general passed by, and the petals of the flowers would be crushed underfoot by the soldiers and the horses, and mixed with the aroma of the incense, it would create this incredible fragrance through the streets of the city. Many students of the New Testament believe that Paul, knowing that the Corinthians would be well acquainted with this ceremony, being Romans, he is kind of painting that picture in their minds, relating it to our testimony for Christ. He is saying God is leading us in triumph in Christ, and we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ every place that we go. We are the fragrance of Christ to those who are dying in their sin, Paul says. Look back at the verse here, uh, verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Interesting. We are the fragrance of Christ to those who are dying in their sin, and we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are coming to Christ for salvation. Now, the, to those who are rejecting the gospel, we stink. We are the smell of death to those who are dying in their sin and rejecting Christ. We stink. But we are the aroma of life to those who are seeking the Lord. We smell like a, like a steak on a grill to those who are hungry for truth. But to those who are not hungry for truth, we smell, we smell like a rotting cow carcass on a summer day. You see, we are the aroma of death to those who are perishing. But we are the aroma of life to those who are coming to Christ. And so Paul writes, who is sufficient for these things? In other words, in our own strength, who can deal with all of this? 
being the aroma of life to some and the stench of death to others. But Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. It's really, it's really a cool word picture when you think about it. And when you think about your, your life, and, and I just want to take that thought that, that our, our testimony has a fragrance. Our spiritual life has an aroma. And everybody that you're around get, get, gets a whiff of what your spiritual life is. To some people who are seeking the Lord, you are a breath of fresh air. You are, you are the, the smell of life. But to people who are rejecting God, they look at you and go, whew, stay away from me. You are the stench of death. But regardless of what's going on, Paul says to those people, thanks be to God because he always leads us in triumph in Christ. So your, your, your testimony has a fragrance, your spiritual life has an aroma, and I assure you, a lifestyle of wisdom has a distinctive smell to it. What does your spiritual life smell like? What is the fragrance of your testimony for Christ? Now back in Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to see how that plays out. You'll flip back there. There are at least eight marks of wise living. And if you are growing in the wisdom of God, these eight marks of wise living will be visible to those who are around you. To use the Apostle Paul's metaphor, wisdom has an aroma. And if you are growing in the wisdom of God, the people around you are going to smell it. So let's read our passage here in Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 21 and go to the end of the chapter. And then we'll give you those eight marks of wise living. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be like life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I'll give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. And choose none of his ways, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. What is the aroma of wisdom? What are these eight marks of wisdom that we see in this passage? At least I saw them in this passage. I hope when I get, by the time I get done, you'll see them in the passage too. If you don't, I've, then I have failed. So anyway, the, number one, attractiveness, verse 21 and 22. Attractiveness. He says, my son, don't let sound wisdom and discretion depart from your eyes. There'll be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Now, when I talk about attractiveness, I'm not referring to physical appearance. 
I am referring to a quality of life and character that draws people toward you and toward your God. It is a quality that makes people want to know more about you and more about what you believe. You are not repelling the people by your words and your attitude and your character. You are winsome and personable, not just because you have a nice personality, but because there's something about you Excuse me, that is attractive and magnetic. You are growing in wisdom. And Solomon uses a very well understood word picture that most of us in the modern world miss. He talks about at the end of verse 22 that wisdom and discretion, there'll be grace to your neck. He says, sound wisdom will be grace to your neck. You think, what in the world is he talking about? Well, people have been wearing various types of jewelry for thousands of years, and in Solomon's day, your jewelry identified who you were. It would identify your government position, your wealth, your social status, who you were related to, what religion you followed. And and one of the primary jewelries in, in Solomon's day was the necklace. If you wore a necklace, it was a, it was, it was generally a very clear identifier of who you were. Somebody walking down the street, they'd say, oh, that guy works for, that guy works for Prince so-and-so. See that emblem he's got on his, on his necklace? Well, that guy, he's, he's the assistant to such and such a general. You see, you see what he's got around his neck? Well, that guy, he's, he's really wealthy. Look, look, look at that necklace he's got on. You see, the necklace was kind of the, the identifier of, of, of who you were. So Solomon says to his son, he said, if, if you keep sound wisdom and discretion, don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep your focus on them. He said, wisdom will be like a necklace of grace. Grace meaning favor. It'll be like a necklace of God's favor on your life. It's going to be seen and recognized. It's going to be attractive to people. They're going to notice that. They're going to see it. Then the second one, security, verse 23 and 24. When you walk, then you will walk safely in your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. When you are growing in the wisdom of God, your life will be marked by a sense of security. Folks today look for all sorts of things to bring them security. You know, it's been said by some historians that after the infamous stock market crash of 1929, the great big one way back when, about 100 years ago, that there were, there were a tragic number of the wealthy in this country who, commits, who committed suicide. Why? Because they had lost their security. They lost everything. They lost all their money. They lost all their possessions. They lost all their stocks. They lost it all. They went out and blew their brains out. Lost their security. Last year... During uh, all of the lockdowns, suicide numbers across our whole country rose significantly. They attribute that to isolation and job losses and, and illnesses and financial setbacks. All read, all led to, to a rise in the suicide numbers in our country last year in 2020. You see, everybody is seeking peace of mind, but not everyone is seeking for it in the right places. Solomon says, my son, if you hang on to sound wisdom and discretion, you will have a sense of security. You're going to go to bed and your sleep will be sweet. The third mark of wisdom, confidence. Verse 25 and 26, 
Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught, meaning snared. Solomon is referring in these verses to unexpected traumatic events. Sudden terror, he says. Trouble from the wicked. You think of natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, tidal waves, blizzards, volcanic eruptions in certain parts of the world, and so forth. Maybe, maybe terrorist attacks, auto accidents, break-ins, robberies, sudden terror, trouble. And then he talks about trouble that comes to us because of human wickedness. I thought of that phrase, a trouble that comes from the wicked. You might, uh, you might uh, uh, <clears throat> think of trouble that comes to us because of human wickedness as being maybe government policies, unjust laws, overbearing power-hungry bureaucrats, uh, trouble that comes to us because of the wickedness of man. And so he says, hang on to godly wisdom, my son, and the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being snared. What he means is, you're not going to feel like a wild animal in a trap. You're, gonna, you're not going to feel like a wild animal who's been snared, because you're going to be trusting the sovereignty of God. I know some of you have been around enough. You maybe some of you young guys have snared gophers. I've seen uh, I've seen other animals caught in various snares and traps different times. It's a very frightening thing. We uh, we try to catch mice that get into the church, and we put those little sticky traps out there. And uh, and I've often said all they got to do is stick one paw on that on that little sticky trap, and it's over. Because then they can't get it off. So they put their other paw on to try to push, and then that, and then that would stuck. Then they put their other paw on it, and then pretty soon all four paws are stuck. It's, it's kind of a horrifying, terrible way to die, but it is a mouse. But why? They're snared. And I've come up here sometimes to check the traps, and they're still alive. And they're struggling, and they're struggling, and they're struggling, and they're struggling. And Solomon says to his son, when the Lord is your confidence and sudden terror comes and trouble from the wicked, you won't feel like the mouse on the sticky trap. You're not going to feel like a wild animal in a snare because you're going to be trusting the sovereignty of God. You think of Daniel, the great story of Daniel and the lion's den, all of you know the story. And, and you know, one thing that just always moves me, when I mean, Daniel knew what these guys were doing, and, and there, there's a great phrase there in that story where it says, when Daniel knew that the law had been signed, when he knew that the, that the king had signed this law that says, nobody can pray to me or, 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 or they're going to be thrown in the lion's den for 30 days. Daniel, it says, when Daniel knew that the law had been signed, he went home, he went to his upstairs chamber, he opened the windows toward Jerusalem, and he prayed, as was his custom. I thought, wow, that's pretty gutsy. When he knew that the law had been signed, he just kept doing what he'd always been doing. Why? Because the Lord was his confidence. He knew they were going to throw him in the lion's den. But he was not going to, 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 to turn his back on what he knew was right. So when sudden terror comes or trouble from the wicked, which is what Daniel had, he just did what he always did. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends, standing out on that, on that plane. To, the music plays, and they're all supposed to bow down to this 90-foot idol. Everybody bows down. There's three guys standing up in the middle of the crowd. Nebuchadnezzar calls him in, make the furnace hotter, you know, I'm going to kill you guys, how dare you not do this? And I just, I've, I've always loved their answer. They say, be it known to you, O king, that our God can save us, and we think that he will. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. And of course, you know the rest of that story. But you know, God, God doesn't always save the people who stand up for him. Physically, sometimes they die. But Solomon is saying to his, son, to his son, My son, when sudden terror strikes, when that natural disaster comes, or trouble comes because of human wickedness, the Lord will be your confidence if you have wisdom. And he said, You will not feel like the mouse on the sticky trap, struggling and struggling and struggling and terrified because God will be your confidence. Number four, integrity. Verse 27 and 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. When you have it actually with you. You know, don't withhold good from those from whom it is due within the power of your hand to do it. What he's saying is simply this. If you've borrowed money, pay it back. If you have it, don't, don't say that you don't have it. Don't tell your friend, come back tomorrow, maybe I'll have it then when it's actually in your pocket right now. If, so, if someone works for you, you can, if you can pay them now, do it. If you can't pay them now, make arrangements for when you can. You see, Solomon says, if you have wisdom, you're going to handle money with respect for others and their time and labor. You will pay what you owe. You will be above board, as they say. You will not take advantage of people. Godly wisdom will always make you a person of financial integrity. Number five, trustworthiness. Verse 29, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. This is a related concept, obviously, integrity and trustworthiness. But the picture here is of a person who is trusting you. And in the ancient world, if you were a working class person, and you did not live in a walled city, then you would take up residence near someone who could offer some protection to you from bands of robbers and raiders. Someone you could run to if there was trouble nearby. And Solomon is using that concept to teach his son that when people are trusting you, you cannot betray that trust. You cannot cook up some scheme against them. They are trusting you. He's saying, my son, you can't expect God to bless you if you aren't trustworthy. Number six, peacefulness. Verse 30. Do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. The word strive there can indicate physical attack or a legal accusation. Solomon is simply saying here that a person with godly wisdom will not be a pain in the neck to get along with. They will not be arguing and demanding your rights for this or that and threatening lawsuits and punches in the nose over what they think they deserve. Now, he's not saying you can't defend yourself. Notice he says don't strive with a man without cause. He's not saying you can't defend yourself. You can defend yourself if need be. But he is saying that the person with godly wisdom will be a peaceable person. He will not be a pain in the neck to get along with. 
Number seven, contentment. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways, he says in verse 31 and 32. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. You know, there are some people in this world who get ahead by walking on other people. They use people. They manipulate people. They pressure people. And and sometimes it is tempting to wish that they would get some of their own medicine. Or to wish that maybe God might let you be a part of that process of them getting some of their own medicine. Or to think that maybe if you did just a little bit of what they did, maybe you could get what they have. Or maybe you should return their nastiness in kind, as they say. Return some of their nastiness back to them. Give them what they gave you. And Solomon says to his son, don't. Be content, he says. Don't envy the oppressor and don't copy anything that they do. That's what he says. Don't envy the oppressor. Choose none of his ways. He means don't copy anything that they do. They are an abomination to the Lord. So he says, don't be envious of the guys who are walking on people and don't copy what they do. Be content. You know, back when we were building our church building, which has been now uh, 26 years ago, we had the summer of the 95 and we were building our building here, uh, we, we, uh, we received a charge from someone for something that we felt like it was just incredibly unjust. We thought it was ridiculous. I'm sure I walked around the house ranting to my wife for I don't know how long. I don't remember that far back 26 years ago. But I'm sure I did a little ranting. This is ridiculous. What in the world? And as we were talking, in fact, and there was another person who was sort of involved in the circumstance, not the one who gave the charge, but somebody else said, well, are you going to pay it, Larry? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know, probably. But, you know, mumble, 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 mumble. And as I was talking to Carol about it one night, we said, you know, the amount looks really big right now, but to God, this is nothing. It's not even pocket change to God. I mean, it's just, it's like nothing. It's like fuzz on your fingertip. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 it's nothing to God. And, and the, the person who, who gave this what we felt like was an unjust charge, they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, you know, and they, you know, if they don't repent of their sin before they die and come to Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And, and there is no way that I am going to do anything that, 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 that would inhibit them from coming to Christ ever anytime. I'm not going to put any kind of smear on the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to put any kind of smear on the testimony of our church. I'm not going to throw any stumbling block down that would keep that person from coming to Christ. We're going to pay the bill. And we did. And God brought in funds. And I mean, it was, it was quite an experience, those of you who were here with us at that time. It was, it was quite an amazing thing to see what, what God did through, through all of that. And you know, this, this thing that Solomon is saying, he's saying that the person who is growing in godly wisdom will be content with God. He will not copy anything that the people users do. And I love the end of verse 32. He said, His secret counsel is with 
the upright. In other words, Solomon's saying, God reveals his truth to those who are determined to do the right thing. That's what it means to be upright. It means that you are determined to do right. And he said he, he, his secret counsel, the whispers of God telling you what to do, they are with those who want to do right. You see, God reveals his truth to the people who are determined to do right. So if you're determined determined to do the right thing, God will show you what to do. And I just, as I was reading through it and thinking through, through some of these things, I just pictured in my mind Solomon in the middle of this lecture as he's winding up. He comes over and he sits down next to his son and he throws his arm around his son and he pulls his son into him and he says, Son, don't copy the ways of the people users. God can take care of everything you need. If you are determined to do the right thing, God will show you what to do. Just be content with God. Don't, don't copy those guys, son. And number eight, blessedness. Verse 33 to 35. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. And folks, if you are the head of a household, if you are responsible for minor-aged children, here's another great, great verse to highlight or underline. Verse 33, that last phrase. He blesses the home of the just. What a glorious promise. God blesses the home of the just. The person who knows the Lord, the person who is obeying Him, that's the person who's just. Notice he says, He gives grace to the humble, verse 34. Some of you New Testament scholars may recognize that, that James and Peter both quote that phrase in the book of James and the book of 1 Peter. They quote that phrase, God gives grace to the humble. He goes on to say, verse 35, The wise shall inherit glory. And I thought, what, what great promises from God. God blesses the home of the just. He gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit glory. That, that is blessedness. And of course, the opposite is also true. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. He scorns the scornful, and shame will be the legacy of fools. What, what a contrast. What a clear contrast. And so Solomon here, as he winds up his teaching here in chapter 3, he says, My son, if, if you will keep your eyes, if you will stay focused on sound wisdom and discretion, they will be nourishment to your soul and grace to, to your neck. The fragrance of wisdom will be in your home. The aroma of God's grace will be around your neck. The people who hang around you and interact with you, they're all going to smell that aroma of attractiveness and security and confidence and integrity and trustworthiness and peacefulness and contentment and blessedness. Because that's the aroma of godly wisdom. And it can only come to us by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience to His Word. As Colossians 2 and verse 3 tells us, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I ask you, my final question, what is the spiritual fragrance of your life? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the privilege of attempting to represent you. 
as the Scripture calls us, ambassadors for Christ. And as the Apostle Paul painted that beautiful word picture, we are the fragrance of Christ in everything that we do. We are the aroma of death to those who are, who are rejecting you, but we are the, the aroma of life to those who are, who are seeking you. And we certainly say, Lord, who is sufficient for these things? I pray, Father, that we will, uh, we will have the aroma of wisdom surrounding us, that as people hang around us and live with us and listen to us and work with us and, uh, and, and socialize with us, that, that we will have that, that smell of, of God, that fragrance of Christ in our lives. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.